0: Hello and welcome to Waypoint. Today, my name is Austin. I am a part of the team uh, that gets to work here at Waypoint. And I am so grateful for the opportunity that I have this morning to explore our relationship with work. To explore what our relationship with work, more specifically, looks like as followers of Jesus. And so we kind of kicked off this conversation last week by spending most of our time in the first uh, three chapters, first couple pages of our Bibles, putting together this vision of work that comes from the profound story of God working in the beginning. In Genesis, it's a quick recap, in Genesis, God worked to take what was formless and void or we, or we liked that, that wild and waste or confusion and chaos. To take to take that, or if you like the phrase in Hebrew, the tovu vabohu, right? We taught, had you all say that last week in case you wanted to hear that again. I don't know. But take the chaos and confusion and bring order and beauty to the world. And he called this work. And he called this good. Because, or tov. Because it, was brought, it brought beauty and benefit to the lives of who specifically? What kinds of creatures? Us, humans. Yes, specifically for humans. It was good. And then God commissioned these humans, made in his image, to do that very same thing, to bring order and beauty to the world for the benefit of others. That God calls very good, we read there at the end of Genesis. Work, work, we discovered is this divine gift that God gives to humans. And when it becomes that for us, I believe work becomes a labor of love, a labor of love. And that is essentially the grand story of work in the Bible. And I know I mentioned this last week, but in case you weren't here, when I'm talking about work, when I'm referring to work, because instantly some of you might check out, Like if you're a student in the room, you're like, what does this have to do with me? Or if you're not working right now, what does this have to do with you? When I use the word work, okay, I'm talking about the thing that not all of us fit in that category. Not not all of us have a day job or a job for that matter. Okay, so this could be for whatever reason, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in or season you find yourself in, whether you're a student who's in school or at home with kids, retired and kicking it, I don't know. Whatever you're doing with the productive hours of your day, Work, that's work. So that should cover just about all of us in the room this morning. Okay, and so it's important that we know the story of work that we talked about last week because work plays a significant role in our lives. It plays a very large role in our lives. One-third of our lives, some studies suggest. So how we work, and especially the way we think about our work, matters very much to Jesus This Jesus who asks who asks us to follow Him with all of our lives. Not just two thirds of it. All of it. The story of work that we talked about last week is important, not only because it gives us meaning and purpose for the work we do now, but it also gives us hope. It gives us hope. Andrew uh, Delbanco, a professor at Columbia University, writes this in a book called The Real American Dream, Meditation on Hope. He writes this, at the heart of any cohesive culture is a story that gives it hope, a story that helps us overcome the working suspicion that all our working and getting and spending amount to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. When that story leads somewhere, and thereby helps us navigate through life to its inevitable terminus in death. It gives us hope. Last Sunday I was having a conversation with someone um, about an old friend who had passed recently. And we just got to talking about how sad, um, how sad it is. How sad it is when friends and family members and relatives pass. And one of the things they said struck me. They said, it's mostly sad because of how quickly you're forgotten. Like, life just goes on for everyone else, and so it kind of makes you wonder, what's the point? If that's just how it ends. And I think many of us could probably resume, resonate with that sentiment. Maybe at times you two have wondered, what's the point? Perhaps especially when it comes to work, The thing that you spend most of your time doing? Not most of your time, but a lot of your time. Does all this working really matter? Is it just a paycheck so I can eat, buy, sleep, and die someday? Is it just nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death? Or is there hope? Is there something we're waiting for, working towards? Our relationship with work has a story that has gotten us here, but where does it lead us? Where does the story that we talked about that began in the beginning take us? What future are we hoping for? And what role does our work have for that future? Before we get more into that idea, which we will, I wanna ask if anyone here has seen or, is, or likes or enjoys the show Fixer Upper. Anyone, uh, anyone a Fixer Upper fan? I am surprised that, that is, this is, there's not very many hands raised. That's shocking to me. Like Most people aren't talking about, like, their favorite couple isn't Kelsey and Swift, right? It's Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's these guys. It's Fixer Upper. This is it. So I'm, I'm shocked. Morgan and I have seen the show, it's a good show. Mostly the interaction between Chip and Joanna, like, that's sometimes worth it if you know the show enough. They, they're funny. They work together. But what, basically what the show's all about is repurposing. Or fixing up these like dilapidated homes, these beat up homes, or they repurpose some of the things inside the homes, like a table or a dresser. Does anyone like repurposing things? Anybody here repurpose things? Okay, some like artsy fartsy people do, right? They see like uh, get like an old dresser and they do a bunch of weird things with it. I don't know, turn it into a nightstand or something. Whatever. You enjoy that? Chip and Joanna Gaines they do this, but they do it with houses. They do it with houses. They do something really cool. And so apparently uh, this was their worst house ever. I don't know about that, but they see something like this, and then they see this. They can look at that and see this. They see where it can go. Okay, some of you like see that. Now. Oh yes, I remember that house. Season four, episode sixty-seven. That house was a fixer-upper, all right. You know, <laughs> I don't know why I just turned into like a southern woman, but <laughs> but anyway, Scott is that who watches this show most of the time? Obviously, that's northwest, north, Midwest people don't. So anyway, um, yeah, Chip and Joanna. Uh, some people just have the ability to see something like this and see something completely different. They see the potential in something. They see what it could become. And because of that, something, something old and beat up and worthless to me all of a sudden has value and meaning to someone who can see those things. And what I, what I would submit to you today is that some it's the same difference. It's the same difference in the way of seeing what happens to us. We, we look at this things differently, some of us. It's the same difference how some of us see work. Some of us with our work, how we think about work. And I would go further and say, if I'm a Christian, if I've come to accept what the gospel has to say about me, that I'm made in the image of God, and there's so many wonderful, beautiful, incredible things about that alone, but at my core, at my core as a human, um, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm deeply flawed and compromised, and I need to be healed. I need to be redeemed. I need to be forgiven and remade as a human being. And so the good news the good news of the gospel is that through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, that is possible, and it's being offered to me. And so if that's, if that's my view of the world, and that's the view of myself, that I can be redeemed through Jesus. If I'm growing and following Jesus and letting that story shape me, I would submit to you that it's precisely this kind of mindset that should be growing inside all of us. So that when we see things beat up, dilapidated, when we see things that the world doesn't care about, or the world might seem and deem worthless or junk, a Christian sees it and says, no, there's value here. And I think there's nowhere, nowhere where that happens more than in our work. For many of us, we see such a huge disconnect between our work um, and our commitment to following Jesus. And I think for many of us, it's just the result of a stunted imagination. We don't have the ability, can you go back to that house? We don't have the ability to see this being our work and see this coming out of it. Stunted imagination. We don't have the eyes to see what's possible through our work and then in our workplaces. What we see is maybe not having any value at all, begins to have value in my journey of following Jesus, work. When work is just what I do for a paycheck, I think the scriptures Are going to urge us to have a completely different mindset. The scriptures are going to try to urge us that there is something much much more there to your work because it is a part of a future. A future. What we are working with in the present has value for the future. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open them to Colossians 3, verse 23. It's where we're starting today, two verses out of context. Love doing that so much. Um, I actually don't love doing that. That's sarcasm. Uh, But for the sake of time today, uh, we are just, that's what, what we're doing. So here we go. Paul says, Paul says, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, who do you work for? What'd you say? The Lord? Right? Some of you, like Sunday school, gold star, medal winners, would have said, Jesus! I work for Jesus. Right? And actually... You're right. That's true. That's that's exactly what Paul's saying here. I'm not going (laughs) to deny that. (laughs) But I want us to think about that answer for a second. Because it can can be so easy for us to just say, yeah, Jesus, duh. Who do we work for? It says right there, Austin, Jesus. I work for Jesus. Right? And then we don't actually think about what that implies and what that means for our life. If we actually think about it, okay, it means you believe you work for Jesus. Meaning you get a paycheck from your employer, sure. But if you're a Christian, you don't work for them. You lend them your time and your energy and your allegiance and you work for with one another, but you work for Jesus, who calls you to be the most excellent, most integrity filled worker um, in the workplace or wherever you find yourself. What kind of work qualifies as working for the Lord? What kind of work can, be, can qualify as working for Jesus, work done for Jesus? What does it say? What does Paul say? Right there at the beginning. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Anything. Whatever you do. Everything that you do. <laughs> and some of us don't actually believe this because I've heard it in hints of conversations that I've had with people, or that I've kind of been, I don't try to eavesdrop, but sometimes it just happens, like if I'm sitting at a coffee shop working and people are talking, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting conversation. And then I just can't help myself, and I try not to. But anyway, um, I hear hints of it in conversations and talking with people, and my guess is that if we would have some sort of like group up here on stage, and we had like different professionals up here, like a hairstylist, um, a teacher, a contractor, a pastor, a fast food worker, and then a missionary, and if I were to say, who does the work of the Lord, who does the work of the Lord up here between these people? My guess is there would be people who would say, well, the religious professional Christians. Those guys, they do the work of the Lord. The paid Christians. They're the ones that do the work of the Lord, right? The pastor and the missionary. So somehow, to one degree or another, we have bought into this idea that there is a part of my life that is secular, that is separate unless I work at the church and become like a pastor or a missionary or something. My work, I just do it to earn money. I just do it to earn money, and maybe I give some of it to people, um, and that's in a way doing the work of the Lord because I'm giving it to the people that do the work of the Lord, right? So there's that. But, but hey, there's also this Jesus part of my life. There is. This is Jesus part of my life that I have too, that I do too, where I serve and I volunteer at a church and at a food pantry, and then I go to church on Sunday, right? Most times I do, like once a month maybe, once, two, three times a month. I'm, I'm getting off topic, but that's like the average. That's the average. Once, in ev- once every four to six weeks in America. But I'm also in a small group. I'm in a small group. And Austin, I also have my coffee in Jesus time in the morning, my devotional time, Okay. We're good, all right? That's the Jesus part of my life. That way of thinking about your life and the world, first of all, is completely foreign to the New Testament. And I believe it's actually quite damaging to the way of viewing your life. it's, it's, It's schizophrenic Christianity is what it is. The whole idea underneath what Paul is saying here is that you belong to Jesus, if I've given my allegiance to the one who loved me and gave himself for me, if I'm a Christian, that means I don't belong to myself. Like Paul says in Corinthians 1.6, you don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a price with Jesus' life. And so every single part of my life now, my relationships, my time, my work, my resources, they just become different areas where I can glorify God, where I'm working out how this part of my life is a way of honoring the one, honoring the one who loved me and gave himself for me. All of my life is fair game to Jesus. And so it doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you do. Paul says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart working for the Lord. That's who you work for, Jesus. But what are you working for? What are you working for? Since you know, Paul says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward so yes i get paid by my employer and i'm happy to receive a paycheck for my hard work but apparently in paul's mind if you are working for the lord you're actually working towards towards some investing in this inheritance you're working towards this inheritance so what is this inheritance most of us when we hear that word inheritance what do we think of maybe not most of us but i think of like that like great estranged uncle who passed away in, like, some foreign country that I happen to be, like, related to, strangely, who has no kids and left, like, behind a fortune, right? That first, thing, first thought in my mind. Or, some, or something to do with someone's will for the money, land, and things they have when they die. When Paul uses this word, he borrows this term from the Old Testament story that refers to the future hope God's people have. When God's people were redeemed out of slavery in Egypt, when they were brought into the promised land, a land where they were free to live in a way that honors God. The promised land is not like this all-inclusive like vacation land. That's not what the promised land was. Like They still had to work. They still had to work the ground. They still had to farm. They still had to have pastures and markets, such and, and all those things. But it was, it was a land where they could live in a way that glorifies and honors God. One of the most common words to describe this promised land is that it is Israel's, God's people's, inheritance, which means gift. When they were in slavery, it was the future gift that that God was going to grace them with as an opportunity to work and live with them in a way that honors him who has redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. And so Paul picks up this image. He picks up this idea from the story of Israel, from Israel's story, and he applies it to Christians moving forward. So what does this mean for us? That's us. We're in that story. This Christianity that's marching forward in the world. What does that mean for us? It's our inheritance. What does that mean? What is it then that Paul says we are working towards? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Some of you might know this is like one of Paul's greatest essays on the resurrection of Jesus. It usually comes out around Easter time. We're not that far away, I guess. Right? So here we go. You might be wondering, what does the resurrection story have to do with uh, my work? What does it have to do with my work? We're going to get there. Everything, I believe. I believe is has everything to do with your work. But let's read and assemble this together. So he starts. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which I received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the 12. After that, he appeared more than to 500 and brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, died. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. And last, he appeared to also to me, who was one who was abnormally born. Uh, just Paul's weird way of saying at the wrong time. So this story, this gospel story that Paul received, he's saying, I didn't make it up. He received it, and now he's passing it on to the Corinthians, okay? This community, this Greek and Roman people who have now become Christians um, some thousand miles away from where, the, from where the events of the cross took place, from where the resurrection took place, okay? And so these people, these people, they love the Jesus thing, right? They love the Messiah idea. They love the, 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 the teachings, love your neighbor, forgive your enemies, right? They love the thing where he died for our sins, But the whole thing about coming back to life again, like in physical bodies, kind of weird. Kind of weird. They're like, zombie Jesus? Not mm, Tough sell. Tough sell. Not really into that. Dead people stay dead, Paul. You know that. Come on. Verse 12. Paul goes on. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul's point here isn't that it's, it's hard to believe in the resurrection of the dead. He knows that people don't normally re, like, raise from the dead. He knows like if you die, you normally stay dead. He gets that. He knows how crazy this sounds. But a point he's trying to make is, crazy or not, Jesus' resurrection is core to the gospel. It's core to what we believe. It's core to our worldview, and it shapes how we look at the world and live our lives. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection of the dead, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then he's simply just another victim of sin and death and evil in the world. Which has been the same story that has been told for billions of years in humanity at this point. Where was I? What makes the gospel good news, and what makes it change your whole worldview, what makes it change your whole perspective, is that all of a sudden, what seemed inevitable, death, no longer is inevitable. What seemed like the last word is no longer the last word. Death, as a result of sin and evil in our world, is no longer how the story ends. It's no longer how the story ends. Verse 21. Sorry, I'm not skipping. I'm just hitting when I need to, for time's sake. For since death came through a man, the Paul goes on. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The worldview, this worldview, this resurrection worldview changes everything for us. Perhaps some of us have grown up in a Christianity that somehow teaches that the view that we have is like we have this physical earth here. And then there's like heaven. There's God's space up there. Okay, which is like a non-physical thing. It's a spiritual thing because God is a spirit. And so God made this physical space for us to live in, right? And then we ruined it. Genesis 3, last week, talked about that. Really horrible stuff, thorns and thistles, sin and death. Then God, in his grace, okay, he comes in a physical form, in Jesus, died on the cross for our sins so that those who look to him could have forgiveness and after they die, they can go to heaven forever and ever, right? And then one day the earth will just be wiped off the map, obliterated, destroyed, right? We'll just be in heaven. The only thing wrong with that view is that it goes against most of what the Bible is trying to say. And not only that, this view will lead you to a dead-end Christian view of work, specifically. Because when work is just what you do to get from point A to point B, like what you're just trying to get out of what, what you need to hear, sure, it's a way to honor God. Sure, it's a way to provide for the people around me. But that's it. There's no future to it because you're going to hit the grave and then boom, you're gone. Pointless. And this is often connected with views of heaven like it's just some one big like all-inclusive vacation or something like that. And all I can say to you is that it just simply isn't what the scriptures are trying to tell us. We learned about this in the story last week. The story begins with heaven and earth completely intermeshed, overlapped, unified. Where God's space is human space and human space is God's space. Or in other words, heaven on earth. But again, remember the story Genesis 3, humans rebel. We decide that we want to define good and evil. We want to to talk about what, what we want to work our own way, essentially. Okay, so God kicks us out of the garden, but he never leaves us. It's just we can't fully be in his presence because sin can't fully be in his presence. Sin cannot exist in his presence. And while we are walking, I'm a walking bucket of sin and selfishness. But he never leaves us. He's always pressing in and trying to make himself known to us. And so you have these moments where human human eyes, and you see it in the scriptures, it's all the scriptures, where God reveals us, he opens our eyes to the reality of his world, to the reality that heaven, heaven is coming to earth. Heaven's space and God's space, it's connected, it's supposed to be. And so that's what the Bible, that's what the story of the Bible is ultimately leading us towards. That's what the story of Jesus, the moment where God is reclaiming and taking back his world, like the first invasion, so to speak, is the creator. God becoming human and taking himself, taking into himself the sin and the pain of the world on the cross. So God's realm of life can begin a slow takeover in this world. Think about this, how did, how did Jesus teach his followers to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that, we're asking God to take over more and more of us. We're asking God to keep coming and to, to bring his, his healing, redeeming, reclaiming presence and, and take over the sin, take the sin and evil out of our world, out of our own selfishness, so that my life can begin to be taken over more and more by him and his presence. Because sin can't exist in his presence Through the resurrection of Jesus and his body, we and the world around us are changed and are being changed, transformed, redeemed. And of course, that's the way the story ends, with heaven and earth. It doesn't end separate. Earth doesn't get obliterated. It ends with heaven and earth united once more, redeemed. This, uh, this sermon that, that Paul gives in this letter, this essay. What does this have to do with work, though, Austin? What does this have to do with work? That's great. That sounds awesome. Good reminder for me. But work, we're talking about work. I didn't even read all of it. I would encourage you guys, go read that. Go read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your free time this week or today. Who am I kidding? You guys are watching the Super Bowl today. But anyway, might be something for you, worth doing. What does this have to do with our work? How do you think Paul finishes this awesome essay about the resurrection of Jesus? How do you think he finishes it? The last verse, chapter, uh, chapter, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What Paul doesn't say is like kick back, have a cold one, wait for God to return because he's wiping it clean, starting all over. That's not what God says. That's not, it, Paul, Paul says to us, no, he says, give, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And had we not read Colossians 3 today, some of us just would have been inspired. We would have been inspired hearing that message. We would have been inspired to volunteer more, To pick up an extra, extra shift at the food pantry, to serve in kids, to do something, lead a small group, show up to that Bible study, show up to church more than whatever the average is. Might have been really inspiring for us. Like, yeah, oh yes, always give, always give yourself to the work of the Lord. I need to do more of that. More church stuff. Wow. I wish it were that easy, but Paul says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Everything you do, anything you do, work for the Lord. Band, you guys can come on up. From here, from here we can go one of two places, I think. One of two ways. I think you can go into your week without even thinking about it. Without taking time to spend in community, or set aside moments for prayer by yourself or with others, or without immersing yourself in God's word and understanding more about how this heaven on earth thing works. You can just keep on working with the same mindset that the world works with, just waiting for the weekend working, spending, getting, fidgeting, until your inevitable death. That's fine. That's, you are allowed to do that. But there's no future there. There's no future there. There's no potential there. All you see is junk. Or you can choose to see how when you work, when you work, In the Lord, your work is not in vain. Somehow your work is going to find itself into the healed, transformed, redeemed, new creation. How? I don't know. He doesn't say, and I don't have an answer for you. What I do know is today at work, tomorrow at work, I don't work Mondays, I Sabbath. Tuesday at work, I try to Sabbath. Hold myself accountable, try to set this. Tuesday at work, how I actually go about my work, how I respond to people around me, how I react to the situations that I'm in, how I work, it matters, it has eternal value. This is the vision of work. Our work has a future, a part of the new creation part of the world that God is trying to invade here. There's a song that I thought of preparing this message today, and the band's going to play it for you, so check this out. I think this song captures this vision of work really well. Every day you're alive, you change the world, one way or another. There's a line in there that I just thought about after this. You start to look like what you believe. I'm not, I'm not saying come Monday, come tomorrow, you walk into your workplace or whatever, whatever that looks like for you, and you love your job. <laughs> you know, some of us, that's really, our job is really hard we don't necessarily like it. This isn't about that. It wasn't the point this morning. The point is how you view work your job cannot determine. The reality is if you're a human you were made to work and that work was meant to be good in the, in the eyes of, of the God who defines it. To bring Beauty and structure and order to the world around us for the benefit of others. Tov, God called it. Fact of the matter is, I see a lot of Christians who, and I'm this too, and I work at a church, I'm one of those paid Christians, where work is really challenging sometimes thorns and thistles right thanks Adam and Eve but then there are moments that have nothing to do with my church job where I get to see and experience teachers who praying for every student that walks in the room that morning and we don't even know it as parents Hairstylists who deeply care for the people that sit in their chairs, so much so that they're giving them meals throughout the week when they're pregnant or sick because they know about their lives. These are Christians who are letting their view of work change the world every day they're alive. It is a beautiful thing. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's the same work that Jesus does inside us, that grows in us, that changes us, that changes the world around us, and will eventually be the world we live in, fully in unity with God, in beauty and goodness. Amen? Amen. That's a vision of work that we can leave here from and be motivated by no matter what our job is. Amen? We're going to sing a song that's about building our life on Jesus. And I can't think of better words to leave this place with. To trust Jesus and to build our lives on him. All of our lives. Not just two-thirds. The one-third that's work too. All of it. Can't wait to sing that song with you guys.